0: Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply.
1: Welcome in. It's a new edition of the Lions 24-7 podcast. We roll into... Another week of October, and we're excited to get into this conversation because we had a second player media days after the one we covered in the Friday episode last week. Uh, Fresh off of that uh, episode recording, got another chance to catch up with these Penn State players. In some cases, with the second year guys, you have to go all the way back to really their high school recruitment and signing day to the last chance we had to talk with them if you didn't get them at the Cotton Bowl in Dallas. Uh, A long time coming for these conversations. You could feel the excitement on these calls from the reporters, uh, and Certainly from the players and Sean on Saturday, our very own Mark Brennan, his daughter Grace, who is our intern extraordinaire, were at Beaver Stadium, took a bunch of pictures of offensive players, defensive players, and and also the freshmen geared up, ready to get into practice in the stadium. Those are all up on lines247.com. But we're going to get into a conversation to get everyone a little bit more excited about this upcoming 2020 season. And Sean, we still don't know the day. We still don't know the time for that Penn State-Indiana game. and, And heck, we don't even know what the press box situation looks like to this point.
2: But we are now in the teens for that countdown to game number one. And I don't worry about that being a Friday thing, so don't uh, don't panic or anything like that. But yeah, it's been it's been really interesting to sort of have to wait and see that. Of course, TV is going to determine all that kind of stuff for the Indiana game. But no, it's it's cool to have some buzz. It's cool to have some uh, just being looking ahead, looking at Mark Brennan's video and the photos and everything like that. Uh, they did crazy numbers because I think people were just so starved for football and starved for something else, essentially that they were. You know, just just eating that stuff up. So it's good to see semblance of that. A uh, media day was great, as we mentioned last week. The first media day was great. The second day was was fantastic as well. Just to to get out there and hear these stories and hear the different things that these guys have gone through to get ready to to get where they need to be. It's uh it's been fantastic. Just like all
1: of us, everybody kind of has their own story of, of how they dealt with those uh, several months of 2020 where everything seemed up in the air. It still feels like that in a lot of ways, but uh, here in the football field, there's a little bit more structure in place now. These guys have been on back on campus now since June, but... Uh, you listen to a lot of them it was uh, it was a roller coaster ride like we've experienced and, and and a lot of people have here this year but we put a lot of that focus on football it was great to have that discussion we're gonna get into our uh, latest state of the position series update with offensive linemen a little bit later here on the episode so a uh, big rundown there of, of what that group is looking like a lot of experiences back uh, some new faces to get to and certainly the new face as, as the leader is Phil Tratwine on the offensive line uh, we're gonna talk About that in just a bit, but we start with a conversation that has uh, been steadily brewing over the course of this offseason, really going back to last December when these guys signed. The hype continues to mount, Sean. For Keandre Lambert-Smith and Parker Washington, two of the five newcomers at receiver, two of the true freshmen at that group. Um, You've got Norvell Black, a junior college guy. You've got Malik Mega and Jaden Dotton also at receiver. But these two have really claimed the spotlight. And when you hear from guys like Daniel George and and Cam Sullivan-Brown and Will Levis, those are just a few that I personally heard good things from on these guys. Daniel George called them a stud, called them workhorses,
2: and he said they're ready to go. These guys are ready to assert themselves, and it's it's been interesting talking to people around the program that these guys – I mean, there was room for this. There was room for guys to step in and, and step up right away. Um, you weren't sure where, which young guy was going to be it, but uh, Parker Washington is a guy that – has <laughs> some people really excited. And I'm curious to see what his role is. Of course, he's going to slot in there behind Jahan Dotson inside, but Dotson gives you that versatility where he can move out to the Z where he's been before. You can move other guys around. You can move Cam Sullivan Brown around to get, uh, Keandre Lambert into the game. It's just, they have options here. And, and these two have sort of, uh, you know, risen to the top and, and made it their own. And like I said, there, there was plenty of room for them to step in there and, and go after it and get it. And now that they've started to do so, um, I think you're starting to see a return. I think we see these guys right away. I think we see a good bit of these guys right away. Uh, I'm not sure, you know, what personnel is going to look like. Do you play more tight ends? Do you play more running backs or whatnot? But when you're going out with receivers, you're going to have to rotate these guys through and, and these freshmen will be a part of it.
1: We're eighteen days shy of kickoff, and and as Sean said, expecting to see a lot of number eighteen Parker Washington and number thirteen Keandre Lambert Smith. Different physical frames here. Lambert Smith listed six foot one, hundred and eighty-five pounds. Parker Washington, five ten, but carrying two hundred and three pounds. If you watched his film, a guy that really seemed to transition into a running back with that ball in his hands, uh at the high school level. Uh thirty plus touchdown receptions at, at Fort Ben Travis High School and Keandre Lambert, we saw him do it on both sides of the ball as a receiver, as a Safety uh, as a returner, also at, at uh, down in uh, Virginia. And, you know, one got to campus early, one did not. But without the spring practices that kind of even the playing field, we heard a lot of buzz about Keandre Lambert-Smith coming to campus back in January. Uh, I'm sure he would have loved, as would Taylor Stubblefield, to have gotten those 15 practice sessions in. Nobody got those in. Uh, But now you you get into September, into October now, Sean. And um, we know Jahan Dotson is is the guy who's who's proven it on the field and, and against Big Ten opponents. Daniel George, Cam Sullivan Brown, uh, guys who have kind of been on that verge. We've been waiting to see if they would take a step forward. One reason or another hasn't come together for them in a big way through their time on campus. And then these two freshmen, this seems to be the cluster of names that we're really focusing in on the most. Now, this is subject to change. All these guys are going to have to go out and run routes and catch footballs when they're targeted. And you've got a first-year uh, receivers coach who did not personally bring any of them to campus as prospects. Uh, but but we're starting to get some semblance of really the names to know a receiver uh, just kind of hammering home
2: that point over the last few days uh, just from feedback off from the practice field. It's an eclectic mix because you've got the veterans in Sullivan Brown and Dotson. I mean, Dotson's the same age as Daniel George, but he's played a lot more football. And George has, you know, he's been in there, but like you've never seen this consistent production. You kind of saw him be you know sort of take a back seat to those other guys last year and you know maybe need to be a little bit more assertive maybe a little less assertive in the Minnesota game when he picked up that flag that he shouldn't have gotten um, but the, the, it just seems to be some established tears here and then you've got the new guys coming in Parker Washington very interesting kid because you look at his film and you think okay he's a glider he's a guy that's so smooth in and out of his brakes he does these things so maybe not the physical specimen that that some of these these freaks that you've seen in college football, that that play right away, but at the same time, this kid ran a four-five last year at the opening. Um, he he's two hundred and some pounds. He's not the he's not the wiry kid that just comes in out of nowhere and not kind of like Jahan Dotson a couple of years ago. Um, but yeah, he's got he's got that build. and He's got that mentality, and I, I just really like what I've seen from from Parker Washington. Even though we haven't actually seen him in a live practice yet, but really like what uh, the the potential that he brings to the offense. And like I said, you can move some guys around. I think we see a little bit more uh, leash to those guys, maybe cross-training those guys at the X and the Z. Uh, you can move uh, Dotson from the slot back to the Z. So you've got some options there. And then, of course, when you bring the tight ends to it, you bring Pat fryermuth who's sh- undoubtedly should be the top target for Sean Clifford this year. You start to get a little bit of optimism. You start to get a few more options as you uh, sort of survey the passing game, which I think is still very much a work in progress. So, uh, you know, and that's not just Clifford. That's with Will Levis, Taquan Roberson. This this passing game as a whole needs to take the the next step and we'll see if it gets there in the next couple of weeks. Lambert Smith, you mentioned testing numbers there earlier
1: with Parker, uh, 397, just an absolutely ridiculous agility shuttle time for him on the camp circuit uh, back in 2019, got eyes on this kid on the camp circuit, and he was someone who go, would go out there, beat you, let you know, reminded me a little bit of watching KJ Hamler and his competitive streak uh, when he was a, a high school standout, and we saw uh, you know, that verbal competition maintained on the Penn State practice field in the games, a guy that was, that was not quiet uh, by any means as a competitor, and I think Keandre Lambert uh, does bring that kind of edge to the position that maybe has been lacking over the course of these last few years when, when we've watched some of the passive uh, passive body language and just kind of some of the passive nature in general uh, on the football field from those receivers. I think he's also a pretty technical route runner coming into campus. And what we continue to hear, Sean, about Taylor Stubblefield. And it's funny, all the coaches, uh, they kind of they always try to phrase this nicely. Franklin did it at the introductory press conference for Stubblefield, Kirk Chirac Raka did it last Wednesday when talking about Stubblefield, but they say, "Look, he wasn't like a physical freak at Purdue. He was a guy who needed to rely on being the best on the field in terms of, of technical, fundamental, and just grinding it out like that. Uh, because you know, they said he's, he's not going to, he wasn't going to be a, a, the kind of prospect who puts up crazy numbers, and yet he ends up being the all-time Big Ten leader in receptions." That's what it sounds like he's bringing to this group. Uh, combined with Kirk Shiraka, there just is not much gray area right now in the expectations for what you're supposed to accomplish route after route after route. It's either get it right or go and do it again, and, and I'm not saying that wasn't the case before, but this has been a position we've pointed to time and time again. It feels like we've already done the state of the position for the receivers like 10 times over the course of 2020. We'll get to that again as we get closer to the season, I guess, uh, but really it's it's good news from the practice field, and I think these are two freshmen uh, that are really oriented and, and ready to to kind of take on what that role will, will require from Taylor Stubblefield.
2: Well, it's a detail-oriented orient, position, and we've seen sloppiness over the last couple of years no matter who's coaching you got drop balls you've got missed routes you've got guys all over the place and and you know sort of clustering together which has been a, an issue in the last two years so i i think that given what we've seen with uh With Kirk Shiraka bringing his route tree in and then giving what we've seen with Stubblefield being a technical guy, I think it's a pretty good marriage. And and we'll see, you know, that remains to be seen, and that that the jury is going to be out there until they are able to, uh, you know, put a couple of games together. But it seems like a pretty good combination to start with, similar to the combination that you see with Shiraka and Phil Troutline up front. So, I mean, you just got to have these guys mixed together, and that's, you know, probably not ideal to just give them a couple of weeks of camp. You don't give them a spring, you give them sort of an abbreviation. Summer and 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 try to make it work. So I, I think there'll be bumps. Um, I I don't think that anybody's expecting them to come in right off the bat and score sixty a game or whatever. But uh, I think they'll they'll assimilate to to each other very well and and sort of mesh and and I think the players will come along with that and Dotson can benefit from a lot of that. I think uh, George, uh, if he can take the next step from being an off season guy into being a, a regular season guy, you've got something there. And then of course everybody's excited about these freshmen.
1: I just don't think there's anything that Penn State specifically can do to change its perception on the recruiting trail across the country more than if they were to be able to get several receivers involved producing explosive plays downfield and really establishing new names at the position that that are going to be kind of on that national conversation level for a top 10 program like this.
2: Building on that, I mean, you've got, uh, this is a reputation of Penn State where it takes time to get guys into the system. It takes time to get guys onto the field, earn your way onto the field, et cetera. I mean, we've had the conversation, really the argument about Michael Parsons and Coa Farmer all offseason. This is your chance to get fresh names on their freshmen. They're just, you know, just out of high school, not the red shirt guys, get them an opportunity to get in there and make a big splash on the big scene. That's, you know, that's what you've seen at Clemson. That's what you've seen at Alabama. You've seen it at, uh, you know, you've even seen it at Ohio state. I mean, you've got the opportunity for freshmen skill players to come in and make a difference. Um, you weren't around in 2005, but you, you know, this is something that really propelled Penn state with, with that group of freshman receivers then. So, yeah, I mean, it's certainly a big opportunity for these guys. You don't want to put too much on their shoulders, obviously, but at the same time, it's an opportunity to get your most talented guys on the field. And when your most talented guys have three years left, or at least three years left, then uh, that's that's a good spot to be in. And by the way, I've heard it
1: several times from recruits at
2: the running back position and the tight end position.
1: I know you have as well. Pointing to what Noah Kane did last year, and in some ways, uh, Devin Ford as well. And then also at tight end, knowing that Pat Fryer, who stepped onto this stage, uh, caught a touchdown his first month on campus as a freshman for Penn State. That means something to these recruits, seeing that those guys had a chance to do it early and excelled in those roles. If you can marry the wide receiver position to a, a few freshmen there, maybe a couple here that come in and play right away and do big
2: things, that could go a long way for you in your sales pitch and what you're trying to accomplish. And just before you get started with the whole Justin Shorter was a five star type thing, if you remember, if you follow along on our site at Lines Twenty Four Seven, I'm not sure that we were you know that far into the podcast uh, scene at that point, but uh, this is this is not what we heard about Justin Shorter at first. At- first glance. So Justin Shorter, they were kind of waiting for him to make plays at this point. Uh, At this point, Parker Washington, Keandre Lambert getting a lot more buzz from their teammates, a lot more buzz from their coaches. So hopefully, you know, they can sort of buck that trend and and get, uh, you know, (laughs) sort of separate themselves, I guess, from Justin Shorter. Uh,
1: the last episode we had, we discussed a, a bit about Kirk Chiraca and his usage of Seth Green at Minnesota, a, a former uh, top 10 dual threat quarterback who, who ended up switching positions a couple times, landing as a wildcat quarterback run threat with 13 rushing touchdowns combined in 2018 and 2019 for the Golden Gophers. And uh, there was a line to be drawn between what he did in that offense and what maybe Will Levis could bring to the Nittany Lions backfield here in 2020, Kirk Chiraca. Uh, felt, feels like Will Levis is the better quarterback prospect. you think he's he's an overall better weapon than what he had with Seth Green? But these are two large quarterbacks, guys who are not easy to bring down. The athleticism in the open field was apparent with Will Levis last year. Ended up with 213 rushing yards uh, in his brief appearances. Played those last six quarters of the regular season as the number one quarterback with, with Sean Clifford sideline. But, only 10 fewer rushing yards last year than passing yards for him. He certainly sounded on Friday like he wants to dispel the notion that he's a run first quarterback. He thinks he's made a lot of progress with Kirk Shiraka. I think when you look at our message boards and the questions that we're asked uh, about this program, something that comes up a lot is the development of Will Levison under Kirk Shiraka. Is he improving as a passer? Uh, is he matching that, that velocity that we've talked about a lot with improved accuracy? Um, is he becoming more of a technical passer? That's something that we're gonna to have to see what it looks like with live bullets. We haven't had a chance to see him go up against any kind of defense in person at this point, even on the practice field. Um, I think that's gonna be important, but it certainly does sound like Will Levis is ready to embrace, uh, that role. If he's, if he's asked to be some kind of short yardage or runner, uh, it's something that he's up for, but he was very, very, emphatic, I would say, and kind of steering clear of this thing. It was on the brink of becoming a, a lion conversation, like the kind we had with Tommy Stevens a couple of years ago. Um I think he did a nice job kind of glancing it away from that. But he does say, if this team needs me to go out and be be the runner, I can do that. But he wanted to say, first and foremost, I'm concentrated on becoming the best quarterback I can be. Yeah, I think he's
2: he's been very uh focused on being a quarterback itself. And I, and I do think that role will be there for him no matter what. I think the role we're going to lump it in with the lion, but I think it's a very different role. I mean, you've got a chance to, you know, be sort of more of a hammer than, you know, being a a slot guy or a tight end, you know, a flex tight end or whatever, uh, Tommy Stevens, whatever role you wanted him to be. And this seems to be, you know, pretty basic wildcat and you add Levis's arm to the mix and it gives you some, some sort of threat. So I, I, I can see why he's downplaying it, but I also can see him accepting this role. I mean, he knows what's, what's in front of him with, with Sean Clifford, and, but I can see him accepting this role and, and really excelling. And we've said this
1: before, because of this pause on the NCAA eligibility clock, it makes that entire quarterback room dynamic just a lot different than what we thought it would be. You're looking at a situation now where Sean Clifford uh, has two years ahead of him beyond this season to potentially play college football for Penn State. And he's got his younger brother, and who we're going to get to in a moment is tearing it up on the high school football fields of Ohio. That's some you know that that's going to be interesting to see get a chance to play with his brother. How long will Clifford be here? I don't know, but I do know uh, that Will Levis could be in a spot where he's 22 going on 23. Without being the guy uh, at quarterback for his program, so he wants to get film out there, um, and and you know I, I wonder where that's going to happen early as a passer if Sean Clifford's good and ready to roll. Um, yeah, I don't think you're going to see a lot of mop up duty until we get into November. Uh, I, you know, for Penn State's sake, you hope you get a chance to to have some lopsided uh, margins in in a couple of those early games. But uh, I'll tell you what, I, I think with Will Levis, uh, he's going to be a factor here. But I do wonder. Is this going to be kind of a lightning rod discussion? Because at that point, you're you're taking your running back group maybe uh, out of the equation. And we talked about how deep they are. Um, if it doesn't work, I think it'll be really quick to draw criticism. Surprise, surprise uh, f- from fans and from analysts, because you're, you're taking the ball out of one of those running backs hands to give it to Clifford uh, to give it to Levis. I'm sorry. Um, but if it works, there w- I think there will be no complaints. And you'll just view this as kind of uh, yet another enhancement on, on a
2: on a run on a
1: ground game that could be one of college football's best.
2: I guess he can always be a fullback. So, um, but no, I mean, yes. has had success with it. That's the thing. Yes. I mean, it's not, this is not just a, a wacky idea out of nowhere. If you look at Minnesota, they've, they've had some success with it. Uh, I, I mean, I think that, that Levis fits the bill and I can see why everyone's going there. By the way, you're saying November, like that's not week three this season. I mean, you say we get to November and before there's an opportunity for for a blowout. Well, they play Maryland in week three, which is uh, the first week in November. That was the so reference. yeah. It seems a little <laughs> bit different uh, than than a typical November.
1: Oh, absolutely, there's no doubt. And by the way, Levis uh, listed six foot three, two thirty. Uh, I'm, I'm thinking he may be bigger than that. I think he has been listed bigger than that, but that's where he is in the latest roster update. A guy that, that says he likes to drop that Thor hammer, maybe gets that chance. Um, a few other guys, speaking of, of a guy building up physically, Brandon Smith has done that. He's now checking in at about 244, 245. Uh, the projected starter at Sam Linebacker, replacing Cam Brown, who's now a rookie with the New York Giants. We talked about the linebacker group at large in our last episode, but Sean, when, when you got a chance to speak with Brandon Smith on Friday, one thing that stood out was him just saying – you know, the it, it, Last year, he says mentally, it was just a lot to take on. And and he said as, as things went by the end of the year, maybe a little bit more comfortable, but he feels like a completely different linebacker this year and and, and just feeling comfortable that he can fulfill the responsibilities he has, play in, play out. And that's important because we've talked about how would the linebacker group look, uh, who's going to come off the field when you have five defensive backs. I think the expectation here is, and, and I would be surprised if it's not the case, as long as he is healthy. I think Brandon Smith probably ends up with the most reps of any linebacker in
2: 2020 over the course of the season. I think that's fair. And, uh, physically it looks like he can handle it. I mean, the kid looks freaking ridiculous. When you talk, take a look at the video, uh, that Mark Brennan did in the pictures. I mean, he's 245 pounds, uh, you know, pushing six, four, if not there, um, he's got, there's a lot to like there. And, you know, we're going to have to see how he does when the, uh, when the lights are on, but, uh, really don't, feel too bad about that Sam spot. You know, you, you lost a lot of experience with Cam Brown, but I think Brandon Smith has the uh, the mentality and, and the uh, sort of intangibles as a linebacker. He's, he's been sort of trained to be a linebacker for for a long, long time. And, you know, when we talk about that with quarterbacks, we talk about that with some other positions, it could be a bad thing. But a linebacker, I mean, you, you, those instincts are not for everybody. And we've seen that in the last couple of years. So I'm excited to see what he does. Again, I'm excited to see how that two linebacker set shakes out. Because I honestly, as I said last uh, last episode, you know, cause sort of wary about Ellis Brooks and Jesse Luketta in pass coverage. We'll see if it, it maybe trickles down to someone else, or what they have to do to make uh, to sort of offset the uh, the sort of imbalance between those guys.
1: Smith cross-trained a linebacker on the practice field last year. I got some steady work in, burned that red shirt. And I think one thing to note here is because of his personality, he's, he's, you know, a pretty, uh, you know, he's, he's a kid who's not really, uh, outwardly vocal, uh, at least from what I've gathered. Um, a guy who's going to have a chance here to, to go out and play some football and then maybe develop into that vocal leader. Cause he, I think right now with, with Ellis Brooks, Jesse Lucetta, you're okay from a vocal leadership standpoint. It's something that doesn't need to be forced upon Brandon Smith. Just like last year, it didn't need to be forced upon Micah Parsons. He could go out there, and make plays and be that dynamic athlete athlete. athlete, but you had guys like Jan Johnson, Cam Brown, to, to kind of keep everybody in check and I think that, that he's in a good spot from that standpoint as well. Elsewhere in the linebacker room, going from one of the three five-star, uh, former five-star prospects on this roster to the only non blue chip recruit uh, among scholarship linebackers, Catchiers uh, the only guy who was a three-star coming out of high school. He also dealt with some injury issues, uh, shoulder in high school, something that kind of slowed his progress early. Here in year three, certainly looks like he's evolved physically and, and you had a chance to spend some time with him, uh, talking about how, uh, he, he certainly has gotten a lot of work across the board at linebacker.
2: It's, uh, well, it's interesting cause he showed up in a boot on Saturday. So, um, he, the, the healthy, the staying healthy thing needs to be, uh, sort of hammered home. That's uh, unfortunately he hasn't been able to, I guess, be fully healthy since he was a high school player. So, uh, excited to see what he does in the middle. I think he's got the, the mentality for it. Uh, does he have the size to hold up and be physical in the middle? That's still a pretty big question mark. And he admitted that, I mean, it's, it's, it's a different world. He started out at Sam eventually moved over to, uh, behind Micah Parsons at the will when they flip-flopped uh, Brandon Smith. So, I mean, we'll, we'll see what happens. Playing in the box is, is kind of a different animal than he's used to. He was always the safety, had everything in front of him. Now he's playing in a little bit more traffic. So it's going to be a big jump for Charlie Catcher. I think he's a talented kid, but at the same time, that's uh, that's a lot to handle in a couple different positions in a couple different years. So we will see. It's very much, uh, the jury's very much out there. Hopefully he can get uh, get better and get back out on the field
1: last year, excellent health across the linebacker group. Aside from a couple ejections, I think, you had your starters out there every game uh, when you needed them. Uh, if that can hold up, that's great for Penn State. We'll see, but you, you just wonder beyond that starting group and even in that starting group after losing three starters, um, you know there, there's a lot of questions still to be answered, but as we said last week in the state of the, of the position, plenty of talent in place for Brent Pry. Speaking of plenty of talent, we're, we're, we want to see how much of that gets tapped into uh, by Jason Oway here as a redshirt sophomore, um, who said a few times, he used the word narrative uh, to des- to kind of describe some of the things he heard about himself uh, during recent months, uh, one of which uh, was the potential opt for an opt-out. And this is a guy now being projected in the first round. Uh, he was working out with Micah Parsons, who had opted out. So a lot of people were wondering if, if Jason O'Wave was going to follow that similar path, uh, as- You know, even without all of the on-field accomplishments that Micah Parsons has racked up. Didn't happen. He says he didn't even consider an opt-out. Take that uh, as you will. Um, But Jason Owe also says uh, he, he feels like the narrative of him just being this phenomenal athlete... I think he's getting a little tired of hearing that, Sean. I think I, I, as much as he probably appreciates the fact that he has this athleticism and people are raving about it and he knows it could make him a lot of money in the future and the NFL draft, I think he wants people to start respecting who he is as a defensive prospect as well, not just some athlete who's who's got to be molded and all that stuff. That's been the narrative on him since he showed up on a football field as a junior at Blair Academy. Right now, he's talking about bull rushing. He's talking about adding new pass rush moves. He's discussing um, just essentially his pre-snap knowledge and how far that has come, all the things that he feels is going to put him in a place to go out and walk the walk this year and match all that kind of, as he would say, narrative. I I
2: get where he's coming from from that. Um, A lot of that, I mean, obviously his athleticism speaks for itself. James Franklin's been out ahead of that. I'm sure he's probably you know, a little bit happy that Micah's not here, so he doesn't have to hear the Micah versus Owe type uh, comparisons anymore. He was
1: asked about it, and he, again, didn't really... It didn't really love it. Didn't really love having that conversation. I, I
2: mean, that's three years going on of, uh, I'd be sick of it too. So, um, I'm obviously when I'm compared to Micah and when I'm compared to OA, I get a little tired of hearing that too, but here <laughs> we are. Um, but no, I mean it, that this is a guy that needs to go out and put tape together. What's, what's interesting about him is because of that narrative versus quote unquote narrative because of that athleticism, he was in a, a really good spot. I mean, if he didn't want to come back, I mean, there were going to be questions about his tape, but somebody would have, you know, jumped at the chance. I don't know that he would have been a top 15 pick as he's been forecasted, but somebody would have jumped at the chance to get that athleticism on their roster. That said, he's absolutely right. He needs to put something together on tape. He needs to to take that to the next level on the field. He made some strides last year, and I think probably people unfairly have have done what they did to Shaka Tony a couple of years ago and just consider him just a you know, a, a situational pass rusher, a guy that can run really fast off the edge or whatever, he improved his game uh, playing against the run. And I think he can continue to do that. And if he does, then really the sky's the limit for this kid. So I, I can see where he's coming from because he's right. Um, but at the same time, I mean, there's a reason that so many people were talking about him and it's and it's because of the buzz over the last couple of seasons.
1: Yeah, and, and and Jason also did mention his run defense feels like that, that he's ready to showcase that that he has taken a step there um but yeah it's you know a, a lot of snaps last year and and, and flash certainly at times and he has a chance to, to kind of stretch it over the course of a season and if he can do that and make an impact and a, and a big one off the edge for Penn State Chris Hummer alluded to this last week national uh national analyst for 24/7 sports he says you know o. could make a push to be considered one of the top defensive players off of the draft board if he can match all the off-field testing numbers with on-field production and look like a a balanced, uh, productive defensive end. Uh, A lot to prove for Jason, but uh, a guy who's, I can tell you, sounds certainly very motivated uh, to to create his own narrative, and and I'm going to steal that word because it was something that he mentioned probably three or four times over the course of that call. Um, Something he did say that stood out as well, he says he he has a better feel for what people to talk about the freak thing uh, are, are getting at now because he's had a chance now to watch Adisa Isaac for a couple of years and he says he matches that description we heard from Jaquan Brisker safety for Penn State Say, don't worry about one or the other breaking out it's going to be both of these guys breaking out one of these guys is it going to end up in the first team lineup uh, opposite of Shaka Tony when this team hits the field against Indiana, but I think there's no doubt about it, whether it's away or Isaac, you love the high ceiling that's in place, you love the groundwork that was laid by Sean Spencer, and John Scott has to be thrilled to have both of these guys uh, to look at through the competition
2: and to utilize as he sees fit over these eight, nine games. Continue to say, when you see a defensive end prospect that's listed at about 205, 210 pounds and you call him too skinny you you're probably, you know, not accurate on that one. Adisa Isaac was that guy. I think it, Adisa Isaac's in line. Maybe not this year to be the top sack guy, but he's he's in line to have a, a big couple of seasons ahead of him. I think some some teammates have called him a potential first round pick. I'm really excited to see how he develops because, you know, these guys sort of have taken that next step behind Jeter Gross Matos last year and did it quietly because they were kind of out of the spotlight. Well, now the spotlight's on these guys and we're going to see if they can reap the benefits. The uh, we'll see what comes across with John Scott Jr., Uh, We talked to a couple of defensive linemen, you know, very complimentary of them as, as you would expect them to be. Um, So we'll see what kind of happens with that uh, defensively, because, you know, really in the last couple of years, this this defensive line's put up numbers and they've done some good things, but, you know, at crunch time, sometimes they kind of disappeared. So that's really what we're waiting for. I mean, we're waiting for this, this group to sort of establish itself, not only in the games that it should dominate, but establish itself in the game that it should, you know, at least flash dominance and make plays against the Ohio States and, when you go on the road against Michigan. So I'm expecting to see some of those steps and and we'll see if they can deliver.
1: Defensive end is a spot where Sean and I have been able to recite those three names repeatedly, Tony, O.A., Isaac, and then it gets a little tricky beyond them. One name to just keep in mind here. We'll see if it comes to fruition for him in year three. He he was part of that Jason Oway, Micah Parsons 2018 defensive class has not come together for him because of injuries. But Nick Tarburton, a former top ten player in the state of Pennsylvania, a four star linebacker who very quickly transitioned to defensive line during his first spring on campus. He's been banged up just repeatedly. It feels like, uh, you know, we we got the when we were in the weight room uh, earlier this year. He was again, you know, n- not able to be a full participant. It's been unfortunate to see, but Shaka Tony says he thinks this could be, uh, his time. Uh, he calls him Nikki Five Fingers. Not really sure where that comes from. Uh, but th- there's th- th- a lot of love for Nick Tarburton in that room. I think part of that is, is because they've seen what he's gone through. And, um, it would be huge for John Scott, uh, to, to have this kid as a legitimate factor in the rotation. He's going to have to, to be available to make that happen. But this is about where you're still very curious about how
2: the depth is going to play out curious would be a good way to put it, because this is a guy that we have not seen healthy at all. Uh, really didn't even play last year. And, and in the spring, we were kind of talking about, uh, is this guy going to be on the roster next year? Because he's had so many health problems. We saw him in the weight room. It just kind of looked like, man, something else has gone on. So uh, I'll tap the brakes on, on the and height train. Not that it's, it's really rolling because I want to see him be healthy. I want to see him get out there, but if he can come through, you know, you can push yourself to to a three deep there because you've got Shane Simmons and, and Smith Vilbert there as well. Six defensive ends is about where you want to be. You're not going to play them all, but you, it's nice to have those guys. So we'll see what happens. I mean, obviously you look back at Tar Burton's career. He was highly regarded by some uh, by some sites as a linebacker, really just physically, you know, was never going to stay uh, at, at linebacker at the next level, has added some weight, has had some health problems. And, you know, it, it would be a very nice redemption story. Still not uh, fully on board with that because he's got, some some real talent ahead of him, but it'd be a nice redemption story to see Nick Tarburton out there. I think uh, Zach Coons pointed to him as another guy to watch. Uh, you know, when he was talking about potential breakout players as well.
1: Probably should have mentioned Shane Simmons in, in that initial conversation with guys that we expect to see a significant amount of early. But uh, a guy who, you know, as a fifth year, as, as a fifth year senior now, you're, you're looking to see strides from him, and it's it's kind of a now or never moment for him to put that on tape. Uh, and a guy who came in with a lot of accolades as a prospect has been a great member of this locker room, but you want to see. Him take a step on the football field here, uh, and Shane Simmons uh, going to the safety spot. Uh, Sean, just a lot of excitement. It sounds like from these guys about the depth they have built, and 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 that I think they say it's come a long way. And I think we could all probably attest to that when you look at the safety group right now. Um, you know, w- we got to see Jaquan Brisker as a full time starter, but I think there's there's reason to be optimistic about what he's going to bring to the field in a full time role, assuming he is the guy who lands next to Lamont Wade. Um, you, you've got uh, Trent Gordon who's transitioned from the cornerback room Uh, you've got Jonathan Sutherland a special teams ace can he make a stride there but the, the thing I, I went to here, Jair Brown has has generated some decent buzz early on. I'm not surprised. Guy out of Trenton, New Jersey, who ended up at Lackawanna College after getting no sniffs essentially at the college football level, uh, ends up at, at Lackawanna, becomes an All-American, spends a year alongside Jaquan Brisker. They reunite now. Speaking with Brisker, speaking with Lamont Wade, they think he's ready to make an impact in this safeties group, and and that's that's a major benefit from this Lackawanna pipeline. Where as Lamont as Lamont said, they show
2: up on campus at these safeties and they just hit the ground running. Well, if you have a guy that comes in as a junior from junior college with uh, you know with two years to play and he's not a starter or not going to be the third guy in a heavy rotation, you kind of have a decision to make because of the red shirt year. now you don't have to do that. You can go out there. You can see what a little bit more of what he brings to the table. You can play him on special teams. I think he's going to compete right away. I, I think it's a little bit early to forecast where he's going to end up, but you've got Sutherland, you've got Tyler Rudolph. I'm curious to see where, uh, Trent Gordon is after this off season with, uh, with the change that he's made. But I mean, you, you're starting to to grow a little bit of depth there. Now you're going to lose two guys after the year. Um, to graduation, uh, likely. But, uh, I mean, at the same time, you've got some number, you got some more numbers there. You've got some athleticism there. I'm, I'm very interested to see in addition to Brown, what Tyler Rudolph can bring to the table because he's got size, he's got speed. Um, can he, can he make that sort of leap from being a, a redshirted guy to sort of assert himself into that group? I think there's uh there's plenty of questions there at backup safety, but you know, they just continue to get more and more athletic at that, at that spot.
1: It's it's a good thing that Penn State fans don't hear us talking much about the, the special teams unit in terms of kickers. Uh, they're, they're, we're going to have to see how Stout does as a punter and replacing Blake Gillikin. But last year, a lot of success. Jake Penninger is a sophomore, 11 of 12 uh, from inside that 50. And Jordan Stout handled long range, had a school record 57-yarder. Only two of three from beyond 50. Wasn't a lot of action there, but some important kicks involved. Uh, Sean, it sounds like uh, they're going to be splitting those duties again. You had a, a chance to, to check in on
2: Friday. Yeah, that, we, we won't spend too much time on it, but Pinniger, uh, Jake Pinniger will handle the quote unquote short stuff from 49 and in. And uh, Jordan Stout's going to be your bomb, your bombs away guy from 50 and over. And I think it's, you know, if it's, if it's not broke, don't fix it. It's not broke. Don't fix it. Yeah. There we go. Yeah. You um, got it. if it's not broke, don't fix it. And they seem to do a pretty good job last year. It's, it, it w- the, the most interesting dynamic to me is you've got Stout as the holder now. So what does that do to the rest of the, the continuity of the, the, of the, uh, kick team? Um, you take Stout out of there, you make him kick a 55 yarder who's going to step in there and hold, you know, what's that going to do to the snapper? What's that going to do the entire team? So of course, you know, it all comes back to the snapper. Um, but, uh, that, that's the only question that I have with that because last year you had Blake Gill and he could put it down for anybody. So this year, that's my big question with these guys because uh, really leg strength, not really an issue. Uh, accuracy was very good last year. So I mean, we'll just fall back on the holder.
1: And Pindiger told us earlier this offseason that that's something that he has been working on, is to be the holder for Stout and vice versa. Interesting dynamic there. Um, You may have noticed we did not talk about the offensive line during this conversation. We're going to get to that in a big way in just a moment. Stay with us for our state of the position on the offensive front. Some recruiting notes as well, and we'll finish with our five-star mailbag all around the corner on the Lions 24-7 podcast. All right, we take another long look at a position on the Penn State roster. You've already heard from us on linebackers and running backs this week. This time, it's the offensive front. A lot of familiar names, but with a new leader, Phil Troutline, former Florida Gators team captain, a two-time national champion as an offensive lineman down there in Gainesville. Uh, Most recently, a successful run at Boston College. Got five guys all-conference, produced a first-round pick out of BC. Now he takes on this challenge with Penn State to take them to another level. Sean, this is a position room that, for as long as I've been covering the team, we've wondered if they would take a leap forward and, in doing so, bring Penn State with them. Uh, they have a lot of nice pieces. They have the ingredients, and early returns on their leader have been
2: tremendously positive. I mean, you think about where this group has been and they have made strides they've gone they've come a long way from where they've been uh do have they gotten there to the championship level is is now the question and you know that's a good thing to speculate it's a good question to ask um where where they i guess where they can still go with this offensive coordinator with this potential uh commitment to the running game i think you know that that makes sense that's that's a good question to ask uh a lot of experience, a lot of guys that, uh, you know, have played a bunch of snaps, especially in the middle. I, I don't think you can understate, and we'll start sort of at the top of this offensive line. I don't think you can understate how important it is to have Michael Menard out there, a guy that's been, played a lot of football for Penn State. He's made a lot of calls for them as well. Thought he played at a very high level, you know, got, got banged up at the end of the year last year, but this is a guy that you can lean on and hopefully be, a, be an all Big Ten performer. And, you know, just having that presence in the middle of your offensive line, especially when you surround him with guys, and maybe not. Uh, maybe don't have as much experience at the guard spots, and especially you know you can yell down the line at, at Rasheed Walker as well. Uh, but yeah, just having Bennett in there as the anchor, I think is going to is really going to go a long way. He's I talked to him the other day about sort of being an extension of Phil Troutwine. He said. Man, the first time I talked to him, buy-in was all in, um, you know, got some of the other guys, uh, to come around. And I think, you know, once you have that buy-in, which I'll be honest, didn't completely exist around, uh, you know, when Matt Limegrover was there. Nothing, I don't think it's a, a big slight on Limegrover, but you know, this is, this is something that I think has come a long way in the last couple of months, even though they haven't been around the coach. So. I'm excited to see what, uh, what Michael Mennett can do. I think he's a, a legitimate contender for the Remington. I think he'd be an all Big Ten guy. And just having him as a presence, I think is, is a big deal because he's going to be the guy. And I know that you've, you know, people will ask about, will Miranda slide over and take some reps? Will Juice Scruggs be able to get in there? You want to have your center taking as many of those, you know, crucial snaps as possible. So while you're, you're going to see guards go in and out, you might see some tackles go in and out. You're going to see Mennett there playing more snaps than anybody on offense outside of Sean Clifford.
1: Troutwine told us earlier this year that he knew he had to to make sure the buy-in was there from from Michael Mennett and, and that was a early thing to check off on his to-do list when he got to campus was to to get together with him a returning team captain a guy whose voice is highly respected in that room and you know coming in uh, I, th- I think that they accomplished that together um, that that helps because when you have time away from campus you've, you've got a, an experienced group and you've got a leader like Mennett to, to ensure everybody's kind of working out respectively preparing how they can all off campus, So when they get back, they're ready to roll. And the experience in this group, you know, speaking with Des Holmes on Friday, he said he was just so, so glad that they were able to get a season on the field this fall because it felt like it would have been such a wasted opportunity for the offensive line. All these guys—you got five players who have starting experience in the Big Ten. Des Holmes himself, while he has not started, has taken a lot of reps in this conference, um, and, and I think that, that you just—you would have hate to see that as, as we would have run down the storylines of things that would have been lost from a fall season and, and the lack of it. Uh, this opportunity for a continuity on the offensive front and all these guys coming back—that would have been something that may have fallen by the wayside. Instead, uh, you've got a focus group uh, under Phil Tratwine, and and the early returns we've heard Sean talking with defensive linemen multiple guys on the defensive front on Friday and of course the offensive line they just feel like there's a different energy on the practice field I think that the more from what I heard on the offensive line I'm not surprised that they're highly complimentary of their coach and his style and, and what he's demanding from them on the field on a daily basis what more stood out to me was hearing from the defenders uh Jason away like really reiterated and hammered it home he said these guys are just bringing a more gritty mentality he's like they're, they're really 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 taking it to us in a way that they had not in the past. And the early reports from us, and this isn't really surprising across college football, I think the defense always has an edge early in training camp, but people have been so used to us saying the defensive line got the better of the offensive line on the practice field at some point in August, and then everyone from that point is is worried about the offensive line and its ability to go out there and, and be a college football caliber offensive front. We're not seeing it with our own eyes. But just kind of the inflection and in the voices of these defensive linemen and the way they're describing what they're seeing across from them, it stood out to
2: me. What, what's it, what stood out to me from talking to a couple of these guys last week was, you know, you kind of asked them what they saw differently when they put the pads on. And I think I think it was Mennett or it was one of these offensive linemen said, you noticed it immediately when you started to put into uh, sort of put into work what trout was preaching and, and he gets out there and he demonstrates all this stuff. It doesn't take much for him to get into, into the mix of these things. I mean, obviously he's not that far removed from his playing days, But he get you know the the stuff that he's taken on. They they said immediately this is this is something that has popped up immediate and showed immediate results. Now, am I skeptical of that? Of course I am. I'm a wet blanket, and this is the offensive line at Penn State, which you know has has let people down over and over again. But I I like what they have bring. I like what they can bring together. I like the the experience, and I like the fact that you know this is a group that when you look at them individually. There's a lot of learning that goes on here, and there's a lot of, uh, I guess, soaking up that sponge. So I'm, I'm excited to see what kind of changes Troutwine has for them technically. And at the same time, I'm excited to see what kind of changes Kirk Sharaka has in mind for them as a group. Because as we saw last year, especially, uh, you know, that Penn State Minnesota game, you know, he, he worked his offensive line, he slid them around, he, he brought in extra guys, which makes it interesting for a guy like Caden Wallace or a guy like Des Holmes, because you're not going to see the same five guys out there all year round. I mean, it might be the case in terms of uh, the stat sheets after the game, say the same guys, same five guys started, but you're going to see Holmes uh, rotate in there at guard. You're going to see Wallace rotate in there at uh, tackle. So I think you're going to have seven guys rather than five. They're going to play a bunch of football for Penn State this year.
1: Yeah, and that that's a nice thing to have. It's 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 a it's a good thing to have because injuries will pop up across the offensive front. Uh, But but I think you know, look, Walker. You're seeing him pop up occasionally on some of these first round mock drafts for next year, and I think there's a reason to believe if he goes out and puts together a great season, he may be at that kind of caliber. Uh, Really impressive as a redshirt freshman playing left tackle, game in game out for this program. Uh, There's a lot of excitement on what awaits him with Troutwine, and then at center, you mentioned Menet. I do wonder, you know, we, we. think cj thorpe's in a good spot at right guard but there's you know constant competition here guys are able to kind of move from one spot to the other will fry's repping at right guard and right tackle caden wallace you know essentially breathing down his neck at right tackle it would seem getting a lot of positive reviews left guard really interesting to me des holmes who's played a lot of tackle in his career getting reps back at, le- at that left guard spot uh miranda who, who split it up with cj holmes at right guard factoring in there at left guard where stephen gonzalez has been your starter for for the last three years now he's off and he's gone uh just uh, there's a lot to work through because I think we could see some sort of combination with these guys um you know but you know how many different combinations can you see with seven guys I think that's the, the, the thing when you're trying to put this together in your head and what it could look like on different series I feel like you can sort through a lot of different combinations depending on who you're sliding inside who you're keeping at tackle and who you're bringing in from the sideline there's there's a lot of ways to put this thing together
2: yeah and I, that's a good thing I mean you, ta- you take a look at the depth that- They've had in, in years past, and it, it certainly hasn't been like this. You want to have that fourth interior guy that that appears to be Holmes right now. You want to have that third tackle that appears to be Wallace right now, and you can you know try and factor in some other guys in the two and three deeps, like Anthony Wigan, uh, Celine Wormley still there, and and Bryce Efner, that guys that you know have been mostly practice squad players to this point. And Wigan, of course, redshirted last year, um, has the opportunity to I guess take another free year and then have two years on top of it. So uh, he's going to be. Our age soon. Um, uh, but no, it's, it, it'll be interesting. I think when we started talking about this before the show, we were breaking it down and it's sort of in tiers. You've got the, the seven guys that you sort of, uh, quote unquote start. And then you've got that next group, uh, Efner, Wigan, Wormley, Juice Scruggs is in that group, even though, you know, I think he's a talented guy, but I think there's still a lot to come back from there. Um, and then you've got sort of the rookies that come back into the, uh, into the mix. So, uh, very interesting to see where these guys stand, uh, going into the season because I think there are, are, it is very defined. I think you have those seven and I think there is a gap and you have those four guys and then there's a gap and these freshmen, I mean, even, even without a, uh, without a red shirt or excuse me, without an automatic red shirt year, um, we're, we're probably not going to play. So, um, very, uh, Sort of developmental base that you've got going there, especially on the bottom half of that depth chart. But you've got experience up top, so you know as we continue to to look at this evolution of numbers, you've got uh, you've got guys that can slide into spots. I mean, you're losing Stephen Gonzalez. He started for you three and a half, almost four years. I guess he he did start at the end of his redshirt freshman year. But you're not looking around saying, all right, Gonzo's gone. What's going to happen now? You've got guys that you can slide in there. You've got guys that you think you can get it done, have heard some really good stuff about Holmes early in camp. And obviously, he's got you know he's got a size advantage over Miranda. Miranda's a little bit uh, chippier and, and probably a little bit more technically sound, um, but should be a good battle. And you get a chance to maybe move some other guys around. We heard about last week about Will Fry's repping at right guard where well, you can move Wallace in there. So, yeah, I think absolutely you get an opportunity to come through and you get an opportunity to, um, sort of, uh, cross train at positions make sure you're healthy by the time December rolls around because December, obviously the new November. So I'll uh, be, uh, I think, I think they're in a good spot, both, uh, short-term and long-term. And then when you add Phil Trotwine into the mix, I, I start to feel good about this unit.
1: Another area where you just wonder what could you figure out about the group, what works, what doesn't, what combination is going to take you in the right direction through the first three games of the year before you hit conference play, particularly the the kind of the two quote unquote cupcake matchups where you really have an opportunity to mix and match over the course of a game and, and see who's who's going to put up uh, you know good film to evaluate and maybe film that 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 puts them down a peg. That's not going to happen. You're going off to Indiana, then you're coming back and playing Ohio State. So, uh, really curious to see how much movement we actually see over the course of a game early in the season how much is Phil Troutwine going to tinker over the course of of, of the the first half versus second half based on what he sees and evaluates in between those uh, in the intermission a lot to look ahead to with this offensive line but the numbers look good and and as opposed to what you're saying right now where Steven Gonzalez is gone but nobody's showing up on these zoom calls and saying oh my gosh, how are you guys going to replace Steven Gonzalez? How are you going to stay on track without Steven Gonzalez? Next year could be a year where you're asking those kind of questions because presumably you're not going to see Will Fries and Mike Mennett stick around for another senior year. Um, And Rasheed Walker, as I said, he puts it together the right way. He's going to have a lot of temptation to go get paid. And, and, And that's important now as we focus on beyond that seven and some of the guys you mentioned cultivating that next group, that foundation for Phil Troutwine, working behind the scenes. And then you know when you get to the spring practice field next year, You've got a pretty good feel for that group and who may be ready to take that next step, get into a starting role. And, and a name that we, we've we gone back to a few times, just want to reiterate it here because he was available on Friday. Juice Scruggs spent significant time in a back brace. Didn't realize how much. I think he told Mark Brennan about uh, two-thirds of a year uh, wearing a back brace. Um, you know, really like to hear that, that, that he feels like he's going to get that comfort level. He's taking those hits again on the practice field. That's an important step for him. The next step will be to get back into game action since that car accident. Uh, early in 2019, but that's good to hear. And the five freshmen, you just hope that Phil Troutwine works some magic with that group. Uh, and you got a few of them ready to step up and be true two deep players in, in 2021 because you may need that. That's El- Olu Fashano, Jimmy Christ, Ibrahim Traore, Golden Israel, Achumba, and Nick Dawkins are those five. No, I wouldn't say anyone necessarily stands out as a headliner. Uh, again, you're just hoping that, that in the next 12 months, when we get into before next fall, that, that at least a couple of these guys are ready to play significant snaps for you. Don't expect to see any of them this year.
2: Uh, yeah, especially a tackle. I mean, you you, you potentially lose, you know, you lose Fries, you potentially lose Walker. You know, Caden Wallace seems good. Um, I mean, Bryce Effner is a guy that they've repped out there before. But as we've mentioned, you know, you recruit for a couple of years ahead. And if you look back, two or three years in the recruiting trail, they definitely missed some tackles and and certainly would like to get, you know, an old Fushanu to, to really be a guy that could be a, a redshirt freshman impact guy. Um I I don't know that that's going to be possible. You've got Landon Tangwell coming in. He's a guy that's probably as ready to play as anybody that we've seen uh, from an offensive line standpoint uh, in the last couple of years. Um, but still, it's a big jump. So uh I, I think tackle is going to be something to look at next year and might be a question mark. And we'll see... You know, we'll we'll see when it gets there, but uh I think that they're sort of on the long term okay in that regard, because you got Vishanu, you got Chris, you got Treore who could play tackle or guard, um Israel Chumba and, and Dawkins are interior guys all the way. But still, I mean you, you kind of wanna continue to get out there. And it's interesting because we've heard, and I, I wrote about this last week, we've seen Penn State sort of starting to look at the junior college ranks for offensive tackles. Maybe that's a route that you explore because of this. I don't know. It's it's probably too soon to say that, especially uh, with those guys not playing this fall. So uh, just some interesting dynamics going on in the in the offensive line room. Like I said, I like where they're going. I like where they're going short term and long term. And and it'll be interesting to see how the uh, the combination of Kirk Chiraca and uh, Phil Troutwine uh, sort of get this thing rolling because as we saw last year. Uh, is not afraid to put an offense, an extra offensive lineman out there. So you might want to see, or this might be a a bit of a return to some smash mouth. Uh, it's obviously going to look a little different than your eye formation smash mouth. But, uh, nonetheless, I think Penn State uh, is going to run the ball. I think they're going to be physical and I think they're going to have some success doing it. You combine a potential step forward
1: with this offensive front with what you've got cooking in that uh, offensive backfield already. Those running backs, the depth there, no matter who you put in, you feel pretty good about it. Maybe Will Levis is a factor. There, There's a lot to, to potentially love here, but you're going to have to prove it on the football field. That'll come uh, very soon in the next few weeks. We'll get a chance by the end of October to see two games in the Big Ten play.
2: And let's not forget that 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 running back play can mask offensive line play. I mean, we saw Saquon Barkley play at Penn State for a couple of years and certainly was not behind uh, a group of all Big Ten draft picks in front of him. So uh, we'll see what happens with that talented group and, and got to coach, you know, got to coach around it, got to coach, uh, coach it up and coach your strengths. And I think Kirk Chiraca, as we saw him do it with, er, excuse me, Minnesota, that was a, almost a bad mistake. As we saw him do it, Minnesota has done that in the past. And,
1: and we also have seen poor offensive line play just totally take a star running back out of the equation in late games against top opponents with miles Sanders and Saquon Barkley at different stages of their career. So if it can come together, it could be a major boom for Penn state. Uh, we'll keep tabs there. And, and by the way, Landon Tengwald, Nate Bruce on board with the 2021 class. That's going to get us into our recruiting conversation right now, um, because that remains a spot that, that, that they are on the hunt for an offensive lineman in, in this group. Um, Nate Bruce back in action. That's good to see Harrisburg high school, uh, among schools re- returning to the football field this fall so he'll get a chance to to work on his game and, and progress a little bit more for before his penn state career begins but but that remains a, a a spot of desire for the Penn state staff as they try to to cap off this twenty twenty one class that has been uh, very difficult to to put the finishing touches on
2: yeah i mean it's it, there's a lot going on uh, in this twenty twenty one class. Uh, I mean, you've got, uh, you've got Tangwell and Bruce in this offensive line group and you'd, you'd like to find another tackle. They, they've explored some options, as we mentioned last week. By the way, Nate Bruce, uh, gonna get back on the field for Harrisburg. And that's, uh, very important for him as his development because I think he's a guy that, you know, he needs reps. He needs to play football. This is a guy that, uh, they're very high on as a staff. We have him as a high three star and, Let's be honest. They think that he should be higher than that. Um, but we we need to see some film out there. We need to see him sort of uh, take his game to the next level and see where he's at physically. Because you know he could he could sort of walk that line between being too heavy and you know just uh, being a, a really really good guard prospect. So excited to see where Nate Bruce is as as Harrisburg is going to open their season. I don't think they have a schedule yet, but they just got a uh, they just got the ability to start scheduling games. So excited for Nate and excited for Harrisburg.
1: So Liam Clifford uh, recently bumped to a four star by twenty four seven sports, and I think the rankings council is looking pretty good about that decision right now into his senior year at Saint Xavier in Cincinnati. Sean ridiculous uh, performance last last time timeout for uh, the team against Saint Ignatius of Cleveland a sixty two to thirty seven win twelve receptions. 300 yards, two touchdowns, a set of program record for receiving yards in a game, most all purpose yards with 316. I mean, he could have done even more damage, which is, which is crazy to think about, but. I mean, this kid cont- continues to pull himself out of any kind of shadow that may be looming from big brother Sean Clifford, the starting quarterback for these Nenny lines.
2: The old 12, 302 line for a receiver. And he almost threw a touchdown pass. There was a, a throwback right. to his quarterback who dropped it, I think, right at the one. Um, so that could have even looked, looked even better, but yeah. Clifford, I mean, I texted Steve the other day. I was like, man, we might have this kid too low. He's, uh, he's done everything that has been asked of him this season. He's looked good doing it. I mean, he just, you put on that tape and he's in and out of breaks seamlessly, uh, gets deep, uh, runs the intermediate routes, just kind of does everything right. So, uh, it's been cool to watch his progression throughout the years. Of course, we knew, uh, Liam is a freshman quarterback, uh, you know, could, you know, really couldn't throw the ball uh, back when he was coming to camp uh, while, while Sean was committed. But uh, it's been it's been fun to watch his progression. And he's just gotten bigger. He's gotten more athletic. I mean, he's six one. He's probably 200 pounds right now. I think we list him at 195. But he's been uh, he's been phenomenal. Nothing short of phenomenal this year. And I think he's the second highest rated uh, prospect in Penn State's class right now, according to 24-7 Sports. Behind only
1: Landon Tengwall, who's in that top 100, Uh, Liam Clifford got vaulted up into the top 24-7 not too long ago. It was uh, mid-September, I believe, and and he went from outside of the top 700 to number 239 at that point. I don't know if that's been adjusted at all in in the recent weeks, but his rise may not be over yet, but he has turned a lot of heads. He's a guy that we really liked, and we've said this a lot on the camp field last year. Um, and last year was a special year for him, 1,100-plus receiving yards, uh, and he is building off of that in a big way as a senior. Going to be really uh, fun to watch the rest of the fireworks he produces as a senior and what those final stats will look like. And if you're setting program records at a school like St. Xavier, that says something because uh, a lot of a lot of strong history there on the football field uh, for that program. Sean, one other note here. Um, Bo Perbula, Ho hum, another five touchdown performance. Uh, they're outscoring opponents there at Central York 162 to three through three games. Watch the highlights. You'll. See that he's not exactly playing the competition he will run into at the Big Ten level. Um, you know, you love to see this kid maybe go up against a, a stout defense uh, w- with with a few playmakers on the other side. But it, to this point, he's doing everything you could ask of him. He's not having to play deep into these games. He's not having to run the ball a lot. Which after you know taking a shoulder injury last year, missing missing a couple games, that's kind of good to see. If you're Penn State, uh, he's doing a lot behind the line of scrimmage uh, this time around. It was three touchdown passes, uh, two rushing touchdowns. And at this stage, he's got 15 total touchdowns through three games uh, against two interceptions. And almost all of his yardage has
2: been uh, through the air. They gave up three points though. That's that's ridiculous. Uh, they've been on fire yeah, fourth, this year. It
1: was a fourth quarter three, which is kind of just one of those where you want to get your kids back on the bus and say, "Hey, at least we scored." I guess you're
2: gonna. Get, I don't know. The <laughs> JV JV kids are gonna get in trouble for giving up that shutout. Uh, but no, I mean they they're on fire. They're they're playing. I mean, I, I, no offense to any of our listeners in New York County, but the ball down there just uh, isn't on the level that we see week in and week out by covering Penn State recruits. So uh, they're they're doing what they're supposed to do. I mean they're they're whipping these guys and, and they're doing a heck of a job. So um, Bo Prabula also getting it done as a punter, even though he's not uh, really asked to do so very often. I think he had a 49 yard punt two weeks ago. Um, he said it, it, it was more of a, it was more of a roller, so he kept it off the, uh, the highlight tape. But if he gets, gets a hold of one, you can see that on his, uh, on his highlight tape. So, um, we'll see what happens with his development. I don't think they're going to be tested until the end of their season. And of course they, they have the opportunity for playoffs, I believe. So that's really where we start to see what, what, uh, Penn State has in Bo Pribula. And remember, back in August when he committed and came
1: on this show, uh, Prabula was very concerned about whether or not he'd get a chance to go play a game as a junior and and, and continue to develop on the field and, and, and get to work with the new coaching staff. So far, so good through three weeks uh, with that Central York squad. You can see full highlights from the first three games up on lines 24-7. Uh, those were posted on Monday. Uh, mailbag time, Sean. We've got one to get to because we're a bit short on time because of all the other conversation from Player Media Days. Um, and this question relates to a potential positive recruiting impact. Here it goes. While everyone understands the Big Ten botched the beginning of this season, they are on the right track now. With the advanced and laid out protocols of when operations stop and why due to COVID, do you think that plays well with parents for the safety of their sons? LSU's coach reported that essentially their whole team got COVID. I
2: don't know if I would send my son to a situation like that. I don't think so. I don't think that's going to have the effect that you Want it to uh, just just you know saying by uh, in the wording that you used that, that you don't know that you would send your son to a situation like that. I think a lot of that can be glossed over, and I think a lot of that can be sort of spun around. And, and in LSU's case, they just won a national championship last year. Now some places can't get couldn't get away with that. So, but th- those aren't the places that Penn State is wanting to recruit against. So I think that. Uh, there's certainly merit in there from a logic standpoint, but I don't think there's as much going. Now, I think what benefits Penn State and you look at uh, the way that this is handled from the Big Ten, and I do agree with the first part of the question that they're they're on track now and they've taken some time and gotten some more, you know, maybe they backed into it. They've gotten some more information. They've gotten more advanced protocols into place. But you look at the way that, that James Franklin sort of stumped for his players. You look at the way that he went out there and sort of went out on a line for for his guys and, hey, we want to play. our parents want to play. So he sort of delivered the message that the players and their parents wanted to see. And I think that's probably where you're going to benefit the, from this the most is what you did to uh, sort of carry out the message of, of your family more so than just your coaching staff or just yourself. So I think that's really where it's going to go. I don't see it you know, hurting Big time, you know, these teams that, you know, may, like you mentioned with LSU, uh, sure, it's a reckless uh, response from, from Orgeron, but I don't think it's going to have the the desired impact that you think it might.
1: Hundred percent on the money. I think with with your comment on James Franklin, I think really I don't see the the Big Ten structure impacting Penn State recruiting. I think it's the leadership structure that's that they have in place for the Nittany Lions with James Franklin. Uh, that that's really you know that can resonate. You're going to have word of mouth um, whether it's the the parents of the current recruits who who you know they brought them in for a conference call the day after the Big Ten pulled the plug on the season initially, and and they did everything they could to try to let them know as high school seniors here's what the plan looks like for the few month next few months here's what we don't know for the next few months that matters, and certainly within this locker room, James Franklin actually said he overshared, uh, you know, for for, for for a few weeks there, uh, just letting parents and players in on too much information, getting their hopes up, putting them on the roller coaster ride alongside him. So he tried to to scale back a little bit, but I, I you know just responses we've seen to some of the stuff we've tweeted is is parents coming out, you know, unsolicited and saying Coach Franklin has has been tremendous through all this, and then you know he was out in the public forum. There's no doubt about it, uh, butting heads with Big Ten leadership on on the decision making process. He was out in front of it before the Big Ten actually made a decision to not play football in 2020 Uh, but he did so in in, in a manner that wasn't like the reckless football guy thing. Uh, It was well thought out. It was uh, talking about health and safety protocols, why they're working, why they can continue to work and and look, the testing has been there for for Penn State. We've seen a little bit of a spike about a month ago didn't seem to impact the football team on a wide scale. They've been able to avoid that situation to this stage means they're doing something correct. And, and I think that resonates with the players, with the coaches and the current commits. And, and again, word of mouth will matter, whether it's a prospect in the 2021 cycle or 22, 23, parents are going to communicate people from the same communities. Uh, you know, Franklin, you know, they hear that Franklin was was the leader through this and, and, and fulfilled his obligation that these parents hoped for when they dropped their kids off at campus as freshmen. You know, that's something to put your hat on and and you never know when that could make the difference uh, when it's a tight con- when it's a tight conversation and a tight discussion uh, as you get towards signing days.
2: yeah, that could be something that could be a tipping point type thing. I don't know that it's gonna be something that you weigh heavily, you know, like location, academics, all that kind you know the, those sort of uh, pillars that you base your decision on, but it could be something that tips something in your favor when you're talking about uh, all things even you know I liked I like what this did now, on the other hand, as we talked about LSU earlier, 14 draft picks last year, that's going to tip things their way. So I think that that's really, sometimes we give, and I don't want this to come off the wrong way to prospects and their families. Sometimes we give them a little bit too much credit in terms of how much research and how much they want to look into things and how much uh, they take into account when making a decision when, especially national championship, 14 draft picks, that's a lot to overcome.
1: The 40-year plan is stressed in every recruitment process. Every coach say that, but these top-tier recruits, they want to know where they're going to be in four years, and they want to be getting paid big bucks, and they want to find a path to get there. And uh, yeah, we'll see. But as you said, I don't think it's going to be something that's that's overarching. But big to get on the field. I think the, you're not really seeing any negatives from anything that's laid out here. The negative would have been if the Big Ten was sidelined for the entire season and, and everybody else was watching SEC, ACC, Big 12 football. And kind of out of sight, out of mind would have been the Nittany Lions in this conference. That is not going to happen. And I think that you avoided any kind of uh, recruiting crisis there. And you've got time now, uh, a period of about two uh, two months Give or take a couple weeks where you're going to get to go out there, play football, and get one last chance to to impress some of these 2021 prospects that you're hoping to maybe finish this class with. Sean, that's going to do it. Yeah, sorry. Go ahead.
2: I I absolutely agree with you there. And and then on top of that, you're playing later. and, And we've seen the chaos so far, might benefit from you or might benefit you to play later and to figure out what uh, you know how teams have approached this study that and and try and make some adjustments as you approach your own season so I mean you, you're looking at starting your season from some premium teams already have two losses or could have two losses by then so maybe there's maybe they backed into something here who knows you know I mean it's it's nice before you play your first game when an essentially an entire
1: power five conference has bowed out of the playoff discussion I mean that that goes a long way Maybe
2: the Big Ten will put that on their crest. Maybe we backed into something. Who knows?
1: Yeah. <laughs> well, that that's going to be it for this episode. We will have more coming your way. Um, for the first time this year, we're going to get James Franklin uh, fresh off of the practice field on Wednesday. We're also going to be speaking uh, with Tyler Bowen, the offensive recruiting coordinator and tight ends coach uh, for these Nittany Lions. So a lot to get into. We'll have any feedback from those conversations, the latest on recruiting, the latest on Penn State's preseason preparation on our Friday episode. For now, on behalf of Sean Fitz, I'm Tyler Donahue, we thank you as always for tuning in to the Lions 24-7 podcast.